I was watching um, Songs of Praise this afternoon, and Ali Jones said the one thing he likes to see is people's faces when they are singing, that they actually mean what they say. So I deliberately glanced around then, and it was joyous to see the majority, I won't point you out who weren't, but the majority singing with real feeling, because that, that was a wonderful hymn, an old hymn, but a wonderful hymn. And I know whom I am believing, and I'm persuaded, yes. Well, you can see what the, the reading is now, and while you're turning, I'll just say one thing. Uh, as you know, Andrew was speaking this morning, and he rung me up in the middle of the week. He said, uh, what are you speaking on? I said, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. I said, what are you speaking on? He said, Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. <laughs> he gave way to age. But the Lord certainly wanted you to hear something from Hebrews 12, 1 to 3. And it's a, it's a lovely passage. Uh, I'm reading from, as I said, verse 1. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. May the Lord add his blessing to that portion of his own truth. There are many, many passages in the Word. And as Andrew said this morning, you know, it is so meaningful, isn't it, the word? It's amazing that we have that, and we can open it up, and there's something for everyone. You know, we have an issue in our lives, and we open up, and there, you know, is, is support, encouragement, guidance. Uh, and it's the same with, with any passage. Sometimes there's a number of differing um, interpretations, and this one is, is the same. You know, there are a number of interpretations, but I want to concentrate on one concept that's mentioned there, and that's the race. As a former sprinter, I'll say that again. As a former sprinter, I'm aware of the training, the agony, staring down the track at the finishing line, and the satisfaction of completing that race. Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 gives us a clear picture of a race. The names have been entered. The people are ready to start on that, uh, on that effort. This, of course, exactly the position that many of the Hebrews to whom this letter was addressed. They had professed the faith, but had not really made any way forward. Indeed, some were seeing the formidable length of the course, the obstacles that were there, and were having second thoughts. Even some were thinking of giving in right at the start. So in this passage, the attention is, is drawing them to three points, I feel. First is the stadium, which is the first part of verse 1. Then the struggle, the second, sorry, the second, uh, and 
third part of verse 1, and then the strategy, verses 2 and 3. There are many examples of how we can follow the, the author's suggestion, guidance, to following our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. These, give, these verses simply give us a, an insight into the spiritual race that we are on. So let us first consider, then, the stadium. Therefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses. The chapter begins with wherefore, or therefore. And as pastor said so many occasions, this always refers to something that has gone on before. And what has gone on before? Well, chapter 11. And if you are aware, and I'm sure you are, chapter 11 is the faith chapter. The chapter concerning the, uh, the hall of fame, if you like, of the, the wonderful, faithful saints of the Old Testament. So who are these witnesses that uh, is referred to here? That's really a matter of debate. But to most, it is more than a plausible interpretation that they are the faithful believers referred to in chapter 11. Because the writer refers to a cloud of witnesses, as if taking it for granted that these are the aforementioned greats of the assembled there. For the benefit of this message, I will use this interpretation. These should, of course, inspire us to run our own particular race, a race of Christian faith, with renewed commitment and perseverance. Thus the runner faces a stadium packed with greats. Each has run the course and triumphed and wears the laurel of victory. From out of the past, they look at us as we stand at the starting line or begin our race down the track. What a galaxy, galaxy of greats are assembled there. What an incentive to win, to persevere to the finishing line, to make it all the way, but not without a struggle. As they stand as witnesses, we on earth remain in the stadium, competing in our race of faith. This means we have to run the race marked out before us according to the rules and as Paul says, and if a man also strive for mysteries, masteries, let yet he is not crowned except he strive lawfully. He's not crowned unless he strive lawfully. One such law or rule is that we exercise faith by trusting and obeying God, even if the circumstances are against us. And very often, the circumstances are against us, aren't they? I know, looking around this room, everyone here has faced trauma in their lives. They have faced uh, problems, issues that have brought them down, that have brought them to their knees. These are circumstances against us as we run that race. But another rule of law is that we cannot run the race faithfully unless we develop a growing relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, through spiritual disciplines, prayer, Bible reading, worship, service. We must also accept that suffering 
It's very much part of the race. God does not stop every bad thing from happening to us, but he wants to replace our fears about life with a fear of God. Also, our suffering needs to be considered in context. You see, there are many that suffer greatly for Christ around the world. As we talk about perhaps our own problems, very often we can be quite insular. I know problems are personal. I know there are issues within our homes, our families, and we become almost gathering a fence around us. But in the wider world, there are so, so many Christians, faithful Christians, who meet together despite the diktats of the country and meet very often in fear of persecution, in fear of torture, in fear of even death. I was reading my devotions um, the other day, and in it I, I saw a mention of the church in Iran. Now, I was amazed, and perhaps that's lack of knowledge of myself, I was amazed that there was a church in Iran. And it seems to be quite a, an active church. Uh, and the writer who was a, um, a, a pastor who was acting as um, a pastor within Iran uh, was saying how they meet secretly, how they send messages secretly, but how people are being coming to the Lord, are being saved all the time. Because people are searching. And obviously, Islam hasn't got the answers. And people are searching, even in Iran, even with the fear of a regime that tortures women if they don't wear their head, head pieces correctly. And there are so, so many other examples. And uh, if you um, look in open doors, you will, week after week after week, you will see them mentioning the problems that people have and the list of prayers and the people we want to pray for. And it's so important that we never lose sight of the fact that there are a lot of people who are doing an awful lot more for their faith. And sometimes it is quite difficult even to perhaps hand out a, a tract. We're a bit nervous in case people refuse and so on. But there are so, so many. Yes, we have our own problems, our own issues, but they are, must be seen within context. Importantly, we don't run this race in a vacuum. We um, have a great cloud. It says, with so great cloud of witnesses. For the original readers and Hebrews, they were the greats of the Old Testament. But for ourselves, we add on to that the great of the New Testament, the saints such as Peter, James, uh, Stephen, uh, John, and so on. There are so many, and those in the past, the martyrs that have um, suffered. And it is so important that we realize that we have a, a, a mass of people behind us who have gone before us who have supported uh, the, the same Christ that we, we support. I'm reminded of the relay runner who is cheered on by his teammates uh, as he, they hand on the baton. And as he holds that baton, he's heading for that line, for them as well as for himself. 
And when I run relay races, that, I always loved the relay race because it was a team event. You know, when you're a, a runner, it's a very lonely place. You know, you're on your own, uh, whether it's sprinting or middle distance or long distance, you're still on your own. But in the relay, you're part of a team. And that's why it's so important that we remember that we are part of a team. You are part of a team. And our team is sitting here. And perhaps some of you at home um, listening to us now, part of a team who support us, were there for us, were encouraging us on. Don't forget, though, that there are some who are struggling behind us. Never forget those who are struggling in the faith and always be willing to give them a helping hand as perhaps we've had a helping hand in the past. And secondly, we move on to the struggle. The struggle. And that's verses, uh, a part of verse uh, 1, a B and C, the second and third part. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Let's look at the first part then. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. Weights in themselves are essentially harmless. Athletes use them to build up their muscle strength, to build up arms and, and legs. But when they go into the race, they set those weights aside. They leave the weights behind. Suddenly, they're free from their clogging loads. They're not weighed down. I remember uh, when I was um, involved with athletics, I had a great idol. His name was Herb Elliott. He was, uh, in those days, a mile runner, 1,500 meters. Because um, I used to run the 440, <laughs> which is 400 meters. Um, he was a mile runner, Australian mile runner. And I remember uh, seeing an athletics magazine of him in training, where he was running up uh, sand dunes. But also, the reason I'm mentioning it this year, he used to run with a tire, a big, huge tire behind him, strapped to his back. And he would run there. And then, of course, when he released that load, there was much more power that he had in his, uh, in his strength in his legs. You see, legitimate things can become weights in our lives. They can hold us back. Issues at home, with a family, at work, uh, wanting to, to get on in our career. And our priorities. We talked, pastors talked about priorities so many times. We do have priorities in life. And if we have a timetable in our day, very often, uh, sometimes, our perhaps devotions are uh, squashed up a bit, uh, and we, we have other things that come in and take their place. You see, these things can be weights that hold us back in our race. Often sin can creep into our lives in the most innocent of ways. Obviously, we must get rid of them. This means that our focus must be totally upon Christ himself as our, we live our lives out. Other matters must come second to him. I remember reading about the, the coach, of, I think it was the Green Bay Packers, who was giving a, um, 
a chat to his uh, team. Uh, and his team chat, first of all, was, you have three things in life that must guide you, and they come in priority. The first one is God, the second is your family, and the third is the Green Bay Packers. And in fact, that was the team that were criticized when they'd won, I think it was the Silver Bowl. Um, and they were, half the team went to the bottom of the field, sat down, and prayed. They knelt and prayed. Uh, and it's so important that our focus is on him at all time. Other matters must come second. Talk many times about setting aside for the Lord. But as our times get busier and busier, as our lives get busier, our prayer and devotional time, as I mentioned earlier, might be pushed aside further into the day or tend to forget it completely. I'll double up tomorrow very often, you might think. I'll double up tomorrow. I'll pray on the way to work. As Charles Spurgeon said, it is well that neglected prayer is the birthplace of evil. Neglected prayer is the birthplace of evil. You see, backsliding is drifting away from God. And that's so easy. And I am talking from experience. The pressures of peer group, the pressures of work, our priorities in life in terms of what we, what we want out of life. And very often God can slip further and further into the background. Billy Graham once said, if Jesus felt he, felt he had to pray, how much more do we need to pray? We must also always be conscious there are weights that weigh us down, weigh us down in the race that we are embarking upon for the Lord. And the second part of that section, the last bit of the verse, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. With patience, the race that is set before us. As we've said, we, there are times when we are distracted by her, our sufferings or our priorities. But we must allow God to build up within us perseverance, character, and hope. In Romans, Paul says these words. And I'm looking at the second part of it. But we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience, and experience hope. Tribulation work, worketh patience. In other words, the problems that we have can be something that helps us. We've often heard that, haven't we, that very often yeah, God sends these things as, if you like, stumbling blocks for us to get over, hurdles to get over. And when we get over them, we get an even greater blessing. Tribulation worketh patience. Let us, for example, strive to the to end in patience. It's easier said than done, isn't it? Impatience. That's one of the things that probably, as Christians, we find <laughs> the hardest 
particularly if you're a driver. Patience. You see, this is no 100-meter dash. This is for the long term. This is for, if you like, the marathon, the cross-country with obstacles, things in the way. I can never understand the athletic event, the steeplechase. You never understand that event. People jump into water and jump over hurdles when they're long distance or their legs are killing them. But that's, that's what it's like. It's going on, striving on when we have problems. Urging ourselves on very often, irrespective of the, the crowd, urging ourselves on to do well. We're not trapped or beguiled into the race. And that's important to understand. Before we are given, before we start, we are given some idea of what that race will entail. But importantly in there is the word, is the phrase, let us. Let us underlines the voluntary nature, the voluntary nature of taking part in that race. You see, God urges everyone to enter, but he never coerces. He never coerces. These are merely continuing a battle that started, we are continuing a battle that started since the beginning of time as an integral part of our race. As Jesus said to the church at Ephesus, and as born and has patience and for my name's sake has labored and has not fainted. Has labored and has not fainted. He was complimenting the church because they'd carried on and carried on and carried on. Despite problems and issues that they had, and they had many in the church at Ephesus, but they carried on. They hadn't fainted. They hadn't given up. And Paul says something similar in Galatians. And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap, if we faint not. That's so important. If we faint not. In other words, if we do not give up if we do not give in. And there are times, you see, when temptation does... Pastors always said this, you know, because we're Christians, it doesn't mean to say that now, you know, sin won't even touch us. You know, that uh, there'll be no unpleasantness in our lives, no hurt in our lives. But that's not the case. Sometimes, because we're Christians, we may experience a greater uh, problem, a greater issues in our lives, more pain and suffering because of our faith. The question is, do we run our race with patience, fortitude, and particularly total commitment? Or do we give up without a fight? Are we really looking at that finishing line. And that's so important. And thirdly, what I've called the, the strategy. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Lest he be wearied and faint in your minds. Let's do, look at the first phrase there. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. The word author in the Greek is archegos. It occurs only here, and the, translates, rendered, the translation rendered it pioneer, champion, or originator. He really is our champion. He really is our leader. This suggests he is going to remain a pace or two ahead of us, directing each and every one of our steps, or even at our side. And when I thought of him being at our side in a race, I was thinking of those pictures of blind runners in the Paralympics, blind runners who have a guide with them, a guide, and therefore can guide them on that straight um, track. And that's amazing. That's always amazed me. You know, I, I think Paralympians are amazing anyway. But, you know, the blind sprinter is incredible, absolutely incredible. But he has got total faith in his guide. Do we have total faith in our guide as we embark upon or continue along this race? Do we have total faith in our guide? You see, the path Jesus took was far more difficult than the one we are on. He bore the sins of the world. He bore the sins of the world. Our race may be difficult, but we know the joyful conclusion. He's blazed the trail for us. He has gone ahead, and as he says in John, and I'd like you to turn to John uh, chapter 14, please. I'll read the first few verses, which are so well known to you, but you could recite them to me, but I'd like you to turn to it. John chapter 14. Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. What an amazing promise. That is the goal. That is the end of the track. That is the, the finishing line. I go and prepare a place for you. And where I am, there you may be also. That's incredible. That is incredible. Do we really believe that that is what we are aiming for? Do we really believe that that is the laurel that we will wear at the end of our race? Because that's, that's so formidable a prize. And so I'd like to go on to the second part of that section. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, 
despising the shame. You possibly heard me quote this phrase a number of times in a number of messages. It's one of the, I think, the most poignant phrases in the Bible, just oozing meaning. For the joy that was set before him endured the cross. You see, as with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and many other martyrs through the ages, Jesus didn't go with trepidation or dread or fear or the feeling of pending doom, but with joy, with joy. And that's really difficult to comprehend. He knew what lay before him. There was one moment when, in desperation, he said, Father, you know, if it's possible, take this cup from me. But then, you know, suddenly that was just a glitch. Not my will, but thine be done. With joy, he looked forward. The word joy can be interpreted a feeling of great pleasure and happiness, the emotion evoked by well-being or success, a source or cause of delight. That really puts that phrase into perspective, doesn't it? Our Lord put your and my redemption before his personal feelings. No runner in any race has had to face what our Lord faced and experienced. Yet he kept looking ahead with his heart fixed on the coming joy. His prize was to feed sin, death, and the grave and be a means of our redemption. We are redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. And the next phrase and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. We're often filled with thoughts of his position. Here he is, crowned. From here he's smiling down from the utmost heights upon those who, in his name, will enter this race, will continue this race will continue despite all the pitfalls. We'll continue and follow his lead. There are many assurances that our mentor had completed the race. As Peter said, referring to David, that God has sworn with an oath to him that of the fruit of his loins, according to the flesh, he would raise up Christ to sit on his throne. You see, we know Christ completed that race because on the cross he said, it is finished. That's amazing. The reason he had come to earth, the reason he had run his race, was finished. Nothing more to do. All that was left to do was for his followers to follow in his footsteps. His followers to have the same concern for the souls of others as he had for us. He would raise him up to sit upon the throne. How encouraging that is that our champion has completed that course 
and he's interceding for us. It's amazing that a lot of people, when they're praying, you know, say how privileged we are that we're able to address the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, the great I am. And perhaps sometimes we, we tend to do that flippantly. That is an amazing, incredible privilege that we are able to address the creator of the universe. There's no other religion has anything similar to that. We have direct access to him. As teachers, Jesus taught us, our Father, which art in heaven, and we have that direct access. Yet as in his days, so many turned their backs on him, and so it is today. As Andrew mentioned this morning, there are three options, and the one is to turn your back on Jesus. The seed that fell on stony ground. Are there any here that have turned their back on him? Are there any online that have turned their back on him, rejected him, perhaps heard some of the precious words Think on the words that we repeat time and time again. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world. And that's not just, you know, people in Western society, people who are good, people who come to chapel regularly. The world, everybody. And that is so incredible. God so loved the world. And if you're in conflict at the moment, I'm saying... It's for you, as well as for me, he died. So why don't you choose to run the race that we are running? Someone will hold your hand until you're ready to run that race on your own. But I plead with you tonight, get into your starting blocks. It is so, so important in these dark and difficult days that we turn our eyes to the Lord. And finally, I'd like to look at the last section there. For consider him that endured with contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Keeping your eyes upon Jesus, we urge to consider him the Greek word is alogizmai, which means, I don't know why speakers, you say what the Greek is, so and so, and then nobody ever says it right, but I think I was close. But that means to think over, to ponder, to weigh up, to compare. Think about him. Remember what he's done. And recognize who he is. Keep looking at him as our savior and high priest. As our perfect example. For the second time in these verses, the writer highlights the endurance of Jesus. What he did endure. In other words, we take note of him. He endured such contradiction of sinners against him. As we mentioned so many times around the communion table... 
we remind ourselves of that horrendous treatment he received at the hands of evil men. The Romans, the Jews, the treatment as an innocent man that he received. And sometimes we can't even conceive of, of that pain and suffering. And though people like Pastor mention it in very often in graphic terms, it's so difficult to realize what he suffered, what he suffered for you and I. But he won. He overcame death and the grave. He overcame all those obstacles. He went through that pain and suffering for each and every one of us. And he came out at the other end for each and every one of us. Yes, there may be things arrayed against us. Sometimes they may be trivial compared to the opposition he faced. But they are real. There are things in our life that pain us, that worry us. They are real. But we can win too. We must consider him that he will help to keep us on track from drooping, from discouragement, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. When we are wearied, and we do get wearied, you know, we're human beings. We do get wearied. But when we are wearied and faint in mind, he is always there to pick us up. I always remember a runner in the 400 meters I'm just trying to think of his name. Well, he collapsed about 100 yards from the finishing line. I think he'd pulled a hamstring. But his father went onto the track and helped him to that finishing line. And that's what our Lord does for us. He helps us to reach that finishing line. This passage shows us that we need consistency as a spiritual discipline in life. We need to be consistent in our spiritual walk. Not weary. And if the race is to be won, our hope to be realized, we must strive to get rid of the weights that may drag us down. As John Philip said in his commentary on, on this passage, is there anything the writer of Hebrews overlooked pressing home to his Hebrew readers the need for going on? He seems to have thought of everything. His need, their need for going on. Are the weights holding us back in our race? Are we running the race with patience? Although there may be watch, many watching us, and although that, they talk about the great assembly, there are also other people watching us. The world is watching us. As we strive in our battle, as we strive in our race, the world is watching each and every one of us. And there are many that would only be too glad if we stumbled and fell. And that's why it's so important that we are aware 
that within this sinful world, we are beacons, we are ambassadors, we are sadly the faithful few. And I say that advisedly, sadly, so sadly. But there are what people watching us, hoping perhaps we won't strive to the end, that we won't meet our goal, but we know that we will if we keep our eyes fixed on him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the encouragement of your word. We thank you for your direction. And in this short passage, we are aware that you are reminding us that we are on a race, that there are obstacles, but with your help and our endeavor, we can overcome those obstacles. May we be worthy of you, Lord. May we not let you down. May we strive for that goal, which is a life everlasting with you. Amen. Shall we conclude our service then? Singing, yes. <laughs> I wandered far away from God, now I'm coming home. Oh, I love this hymn. The paths of sin too long I've trod. Lord, I'm coming home. And when I finish, I wonder if Jamie can come up and close us in prayer. Thank you.
Father God, we do thank and praise you again for the preaching of thy word here tonight. We are thankful, Lord, for the reminder of all that you've done for us, enduring the cross, and then preparing a place for us the way you are, we may be also, Lord. But before that time, help us, Lord, to run this race, Lord, with patience. And Father, we pray for, for strength to do so. We are thankful, Lord, for such a clear call to action in these verses. Uh, so, Father, we pray that you would strengthen us, Lord, to be doers of thy word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 